Welcome to Unexpecting, a podcast brought to you by Chana, the leading fertility support organization for Jewish people in the UK. I'm Dr. Romy Shulman, the clinical lead at Chana. And I'm Shimon Schwab, a psychotherapist at Chana. Over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, couples, and religious leaders about the multi-layered challenges people face on their fertility journey. We offer practical, emotional, and financial support to those couples on the sometimes complex paths towards parenthood. Head over to hana.org.uk for more information. I'm joined today by Diane Schmull-Simons of the London Bethesda and Dr. Veronique Berman, who's our scientific advisor at Hana. Diane, thank you very much for being with us today. We at Hana and, and you and your rabbinic colleagues have had many, many conversations over the years. But I suppose maybe to start things off, many of the people listening to this recording might not really appreciate the role a rabbi can take in a couple's fertility journey whether that's answering halakhic questions or for support or both. Would you like to say something about that? Thank you, uh, Shimon and Veronique. Firstly, uh, I'd l- like to recognize the wonderful work Hannah's doing, uh, helping many, many couples. I would like to start with a couple of introductions. I think unlike any other society, we as Jewish people have an obligation of assisting, helping other people in need. As the verse says, one cannot stand by when somebody else is suffering. When couples are suffering, other people are suffering. In any other society, it's considered an act of charity to help other people, but there's nothing criminal, there's nothing wrong to stand by. Us as Jews know that whenever somebody needs our help, whether it's somebody drowning, one definitely is absolutely obligated to jump in the sea if one's able to. And when it comes to returning money, once he's lost articles, one's absolutely obligated to do it. And I think that's the incredible work that Hannah is doing, helping many, many couples, as we've seen over the many years, Baruch Hashem, to help them with fertility and all the other roles it does. Rabonim, they have a partnership to play here. And the same way, Rabbonim have to assist. And I'd like to explain a little bit what this partnership is between the Rabbonim and Chana. I think the first point is to understand that the Torah recognizes, as we know, our sages tell us, a woman who's barren, who's unable to have children, is considered, is a feeling equivalent to death. As Rachel said to her husband, Yaakov, Give me children, otherwise I'm dead. And the Talmud tells us a childless man is considered as though he's dead. And of course, the first biblical commandment is to be fruitful and multiply. The key to childbirth, in fact, it's one of the three keys that HaKadosh Baruch the Lord himself administers. He does not entrust it to any mystery. Childbirth is something that God, so to say, he himself administers. And thankfully, with the advancement of science in the field of fertility, we've moved forward a lot, Baruch Hashem, the last 50 years, and every day with more and more advances. Judaism does not frown upon modern science and and any new medical intervention. The rabbis stress that each new scientific breakthrough, we get a clearer glimpse 
of HaKadosh Pochu's creations, of God's creations, and how his world works. As the wisest man, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, says in Koheles, Ein kol chodosh tachas Hashemesh, is nothing new under the sun. Every innovation is not new. We're not playing God in any way. These are things that God created. And the Rambam Maimonides explains that by studying nature and understanding the wonders of creation, one comes to live and fear its creator and will, and will wish to praise him. Through the study of science, he will also come to appreciate what a minuscule amount of intelligence one possesses in relation to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his creator. So there's no question about it that the Torah recognizes that with the new technical innovations, scientific innovations, we have to use them to the, in order to assist people. We're obligated to use it. But one important point is that all these innovations come with a host of halachic questions. Every time a couple go through, through fertility treatment, they are challenged with biblical and rabbinical questions, halachic questions, prohibitions and such like. There's a prohibition of a man to emit his semen unnecessarily, Sometimes he has to provide a sample, a sperm sample for analysis and diagnosis. And one has to know exactly under what conditions this is permitted, and when it's not, and when it is permitted, the method in obtaining the sperm, questions of destruct destruction of unused fertilized eggs and embryos, many, many halachic questions. Fertility treatment on Shabbos, we get questions many times. And of course, questions of the Jewish status of the child who, please God, will be created. If it's a um, donor egg, donor sperm, what is the Jewish status of the child? And all halachic ramifications, many, many questions. All these are many halachic challenges we have. And that's the importance of Chana working in partnership with Abonim. Each one cannot work without the other one. There are many, many solutions. As we know, the Torah is the ways of the Torah are beautiful. And there are many ways of ensuring that one can assist couples with their fertility treatment without having to transgress any prohibitions. And as we mentioned, Judaism does not frown upon modern science and medical interventions. But the important thing is we have to understand couples who want to start fertility treatment, they have to do it in the correct halachic way. Thank you very, very much, Diane. It's a real privilege and we appreciate immensely the input that you and the time and energy that you give to us here at Khana together with your colleagues in the Based In. It leads me really neatly into the question of for couples who are embarking on this journey, who are starting out, at what stage should they be involving their Rov? When should they be thinking about having conversations with their Rov, especially since these are obviously delicate matters and often very difficult conversations to start? Okay, so there's no clear-cut halachic guidance on this. Our advice would be, firstly, it's a very individual matter. depends a lot on the couple, particular couple. Some are more anxious than others for many, many reasons. It could be pressure, social pressure, siblings, friends, and such like. It's a very fine balance. But as, the, as Rabbonim are concerned... In our experience, and the way there is, at the end of the day, there's a halachic obligation or proof, as we said, more on the man than the woman, but every man is obligated to have children, and that's why he gets married, in order to have children. So he has that mitzvah hanging over him. Plus there is 
the wish of both the, father, the man and the woman to want to have children. The suggestion normally is, after about a year, very roughly, of having tried, that means it sometimes takes time for them to, for the couple to settle down, etc. But when they feel that uh, where the years passed and, and, um, and, and the lady has not fallen pregnant, there is room then to at least to make initial, you know, to start questioning, to, to use the assistance of Khan and others, to begin, to begin investigations on what the reason is. Because Baruch Hashem, as I mentioned earlier, there's been huge scientific advancements. And uh, one can normally, so to say, nip it in the bud. There's been plenty of cases where people have left it, couples have left it for much longer and have regretted that they didn't do this earlier. Possibly 50 years ago, they waited many more years because they, they were limited in the service, what they were able to do. But now Baruch Hashem, with the service of Chana and organizations all around the world, there's absolutely no reason why they cannot begin, at least, investigations. There will always be halachic challenges, but it makes a lot of sense that they should begin sooner than later. So one of the things that we work very hard, and it's really Shimon, as his rabbinic liaison role, works hard to have conversations with Rabonim, and we have over the years had many communications with Rabonim in lots of different communities, that they should have an understanding of the technologies and the treatments so that when a couple do approach their Rav, and in some cases it may not be initially, it may be once they've already been told by a, a medic or they've been already even gone down the road and been given a diagnosis, that, that the Rabonim have an understanding of the technology behind what these couples are talking about, that if they say they've they've had a particular diagnosis or they say they have a particular type of treatment that they're going to embark on and they have specific shyness related to how that is going to pan out, that a very important part of what we do is to be sure that as much as we can, that the Rabonim have an understanding of this and that they have the opportunity to have had communication with other Rabonim previously so that the couple don't have to make big explanations, that they're already coming somebody who is not only obviously well-versed in Das Torah, but is well-versed in the medical side of, of what they're talking about because we know that that's going to make it a little bit easier for the couples to have that conversation with their Rav. What we do know is that when people go, they'll go probably to their GP first, and they might need the encouragement of their ROV to do that. The GP will be quite keen to do some investigations. And for some couples, they'll want to go back to their ROV and have a conversation before they start investigations. Does Diane have any thoughts about how a couple should be taking that route of starting the actual physical investigations, not just going to talk to the doctor about the fact that they're having difficulties, but knowing that the doctor is going to refer them to a center where they're going to ask to have investigations, and they're both likely to be asked to have investigations. Okay, so the first point you mentioned, uh, the importance of a love being informed of any medical um, innovations and such like, which can be offered to the couple, is extremely important. A Rav who doesn't know anything about fertility treatment can sometimes be extremely unhelpful. It is extremely important that this partnership is a two-way. In our experience, my experience, when I have Shilas, where couples come to me directly with a particular Shiloh, uh, I 
benefit a lot from the service of Hana being able to contact yourselves and being able to find out because without knowing the facts on the ground, it's more or less impossible for a rov to be able to give clear guidance, halachic guidance to a couple. So that's extremely important. And then the question is, um, they may come just for an initial discussion with their rov and the rov may, would, as we mentioned earlier, would, would, would advise them to begin discussion with Hana and uh, begin investigations. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, there are many, many halachic um, challenges. But at the same time, we, I, we do have to realize that um, there are solutions. There are solutions. Even something that appears to be halachically prohibited. Nevertheless, in many, many cases, Rabbonim will permit it. We know this in halacha right across the spectrum, that when in, at times of great need, we see this the whole time. In nearly every halach in Shulchan Aruch, there's what one does in the first instance. There's times when we're in great need. When it comes to fertility, that, as we mentioned earlier, is close, may not reach Pikuach Nefesh. But as Rochel said to Yaakov, and Pikuach Nefesh itself, when it's in danger of losing life, one can transgress nearly every prohibition in the Torah. There's no question that to assist, to assist fertility, it's a case of a Torah Godl in a, a, a time of need where Rabbonim have a leeway in, um, in, in, in permitting. There's a, there's, there's a concept of the world was created in order to multiply. There's an obligation on couples to peer-review. And we find in the poskim, and even the earlier poskim, 100 years ago, where they had these interesting fertility questions, they also, they were lenient in many, many of the questions, but they appreciated the importance, the, the necessity for the couple, whether it's because of the halachic requirement of having children or simply because of the difficulties couples go through, the, the pain they're feeling not being able to have children. And not only is it permitted for a rov to be lenient, but it's sometimes obligated on the roof, as we mentioned earlier. It's an obligation to assist couples to be lenient in certain times. Chazal tell us, kol nefesh achas, anybody who saves one soul is as though he built the whole, built the whole world. And therefore there's no question, um, having gone for initial um, discussions with a doctor, whoever it is, and the doctor then instructs them to go through certain investigations and such like. They mustn't be hesitant. They have to come to speak to a rov. There will be challenges, but um, the often solutions can be found. There's one particular point you mentioned about couples who've been told straight away they want to do investigations on both husband and wife. The husband in one particular point is more complicated in halacha because as we mentioned, the prohibition of emitting semen unnecessarily is a, is a huge transgression when it's done unnecessarily and may not be violated. Sometimes the, hus the, the husband needs to provide a sperm sample for analysis or for proper diagnosis. So this has to be discussed clearly with the Rov. The Rov cannot give a ruling in a vacuum. He will have to be advised with professional, medical professional, what exactly is happening. And often the Gemara tells us clearly that although there's a prohibition of emitting semen unnecessarily, but in order to have children, that's not called unnecessary. There's a purpose in it. But of course, there's many, many factors which giving a clear-cut ruling when it's permitted, when it's not permitted. And when it is permitted, the method, 
Well, the method of obtaining the sperm is also, there's many, many ways, and each case depends on, on what is necessary, what, what the medical uh, the doctors require, it's such like. But all these things have to be discussed with the Rav. And as I say, to Rachel, the ways which are beautiful, there are solutions, there's, there are plenty of cases where it's permitted and even obligated for Rav to say, yes, do this, do that. Um, but um, but no question, they have to use Rav as soon as they can for advice or moving forward. And as soon as questions come up, um, they must turn to the Rav to get clear Sokim, and the Rav in turn will have to be informed of all the medical facts and such like. Can I pick up on two themes there? Because the Dian has made two very relevant points that allow Hana to help the couples further on this. So one is the perspective of how the collection and how the sample should be collected and prepared. And that's where we are very fortunate. We have our expert medical panel who are a team of medics from all areas of reproductive health, both male and female, um, who very generously give their time and advice to Khanna couples. And they very much understand the halachic framework and they understand the restrictions and they understand that if, for example, a, a sample cannot be delivered in the clinic or a sample has to be delivered in a certain way or collected in a certain way, which may not necessarily be the run of the mill of how they would expect it to be done or how they usually collect samples, um, they have an understanding of this. And we, in turn, have a very open communication with many of the clinics which does allow for people to take the advice of their rov and still be able to deliver the sample in a way that is both acceptable to the clinician who is going to be doing the analysis, but likewise within the halachic frameworks. And I think that's very important for people to know because often people, it's very easy to say it can't be done and it takes a lot of courage to necessarily make the investigation to do the necessary steps to find a way. And that's one thing that we will try very hard uh, to enable people to to find a way. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, in my experience, I've seen this over and over again. At the end of the day, religious Jews, male religious Jews are brought up with understanding and knowing, with full knowledge of this prohibition of emitting semen, which is, a, as we know, extremely strict, extremely strict. Um, and that's the way they're focused. And very few young couples know that there are certain times, as I say, to assist fertility when it's completely permitted because it's not, it's not unnecessary, that nothing's being violated. And the number of people have come to me and been very surprised but that it, but there's no question about it. The, the Talmud tells us in Yavomus that this is clearly permitted, and as I say, sometimes obligated. So they mustn't hesitate to ask to ask their love and knowledgeable love together with the medical facts, because um, because it's much broader than they tend to think the way they've been brought up with. Yeah. So I think that that's something that that is extremely valuable for people to hear that. The Dian knows that from first-hand experience of working with couples. But I think that for many Rabonim, and, and you did touch on this previously, for many Rabonim, they may not necessarily have that demographic in their community. They may not necessarily have been approached previously. 
And there is another factor as well is that there are some people who have a very close Kesha with their Rav, but don't necessarily want to go and discuss such an intimate matter with their Rav. And it could very likely be that their Rav is not just their Rav, but their siblings are in the same kahila and their parents are in the same kahila or the same community. They're part of a, a much larger family setup, and therefore it can sometimes be very, very difficult. And one of the things that we really hope that people will learn from listening to this is that we are very fortunate at Chana to have um, Dayonim, Rabonim, who are willing to give us their expertise, to willing to give us their time and their knowledge and are happy if couples are not able to turn to their own community rabbi themselves, but wish to turn to another rabbi who is well-versed in these subject matters, who has an understanding and is still going to be able to talk to a couple, even if it isn't their own personal role, because they understand that it is sometimes very difficult to open these conversations. And um, Shimon um, here, who is not only one of our male support workers, but also our rabbinic liaison, can facilitate this for couples. And this is something that's very important to us at Chana, that people have that opportunity to open that conversation, even if it isn't directly with their role. I also wanted to add that for the clinics and the medics, we work very hard to give them an understanding of where the Khana service users are coming from. What I mean by that is that clinics are always very um, open to having new customers coming to them, customers, clients, patients, whatever you want to call it. And it's a very difficult or a very fine line because are they patients or are they consumers? And that is a question that is often asked because they're often both. Um, if couples are fortunate enough to be able to go to an NHS clinic, then they are most definitely patients, but they don't always have that possibility of being able to go to an NHS clinic. Very often they have to do this as a private patient, as a paying customer. So they're often in two camps at the same time, and that can bring with it quite a lot of challenges. However, the clinics will do everything, whatever, whether they're NHS or not, to make the couples have a successful outcome. At the end of the day, they want to help people to have babies. It doesn't matter what type of clinic it is. But there is often nuances in the understanding of what these clinics need to provide. So the Diane mentioned, for example, if a couple have to come on Shabbos. If a couple start out their treatment and before they actually do anything and they explain to the clinic we are Sabbath observers and these are the restrictions that we have. We are Orthodox Jews, therefore we have certain restrictions in terms of how the semen analysis will be done or the samples delivered. We have restrictions on when we can come to the clinic, those sorts of things. Um, or even further down the line, if a woman is worried about her egg collection and nidda and needing to go to the mikvah and how that's going to tie in with the whole process, the clinics will generally have quite a good understanding. One of the things that I do as part of my role is to go and meet with the clinics to give them an inside information of when a couple say that they are Sabbath observers, what does that actually mean? What are they able to do? When a, a woman says she's very concerned, is she going to have any bleeding as part of the procedure? How is the procedure going to impact on her that the, the clinics have a deeper understanding. And today, particularly, everyone is trying to accommodate difference. Um, we are always thinking in the wider world about inclusion. And therefore, if the clinics understand, the flip side of that is, is that couples need to be encouraged to have that conversation, to to 
actually say to their caregivers, these are my restrictions and these are the parameters within, within which I can work. And so it has to be a dialogue. And it is important that people know that and, and can actually benefit from sharing the knowledge. Yes, absolutely. Um, just to come back on the two points you mentioned, which are absolutely right. Um, first point about couples not willing, finding it difficult to move out of their comfort zone, asking other about him. Um, I've seen this over and over again in the Besdin. We get anom- anonymous phone calls. People don't want to say their name, but they ask questions and uh, read between the lines exactly what well, that's what's going on. They don't want to ask their own Rov. Often Rov as well, he's, it's out of his depth to give advice on fertility treatment or they literally they don't want to discuss it with their Rov. Uh, so it's important for couples to understand that Abonim, excuse me saying this, are nice people, helpful people, uh, they're sensitive people, they'll appreciate what couples are going through. They, are, they shouldn't hesitate to be directed to another of. And Baruch Hashem, Chana, together with Shimon, have got um, ways of directing. They know the, the Rabbonim, who to direct couples to, and they really mustn't be hesitant in any way. They'll, they'll be more, they will be comfortable, they'll be confident, they'll, they've got nothing to worry about asking other Rabbonim. For whatever reason it is, as, as Veronica mentioned, it could be because the local world knows too much about their family, they don't want to share with their local world, whatever it is, but they've got nothing to be concerned about. And very quickly, they'll get used to it and, and um, they'll feel confident and be very satisfied with discussing with other and They shouldn't hesitate in any way. The other point you mentioned, which is important, as you the, the service Achan is providing to advise and empower the clinics and such like that they understand uh, where we're coming from as Jewish people, halacha, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's Nida, whatever it is. Um, again, we're living in a Medina Shal Chesed, a country where it's understanding of us and trying to help us. And couples must not be hesitant to ask, to be, and as Veronica says, to begin a dialogue uh, to discuss the various limitations they have. And together with their of, I mean, the number of times I've been asked about a lady has to go in on Shabbos for for whatever for whatever type of treatment she needs. There are definitely times when it's permitted to ask a guy to go by taxi and such like, depending, of course, on the necessity. But um, as I mentioned, fertility is an extremely important tzorich necessity in Jewish law in halacha. And at certain times, one may and one should be lenient to assist to assist them in their quest. I want to just uh, pick up on something which the Dine mentions, which is incredibly important. And we see this as well, because we get feedback from people who have been to their Rav. Um, the Dine said that they get used to it. They get used to talking to their Rav. And I think for a lot of people... When they do talk to their Rav, they get divrei chizuk, they get words of encouragement and words of reinforcement and maybe even having the knowledge of other people that not obviously directly within their community, but when the Rav is being able to give them a bit of context and even, you know, sharing some of the things that we know from the Torah, some of the important characters in our history that we know had had been through these challenges, been through these nisyonas and how they got through them. I think for a lot of people that can give them a lot of courage and a lot of chizuk. And, and that's very much um, what many Rabonim are able to do. And the couples rely on that. Where I think we have to really li- draw our line in the sand is that the fact that Chana offers an enormous amount of emotional support 
from trained either social workers, psychotherapists, specialists in the area of giving emotional support, which is quite different to going to a ROV. And it's a very important part of the services that we offer here at Khana. Uh, people will come in, they'll have a conversation with our clinical man manager, with Dr. Shulman, who will give them an overview of what services Khana can offer them so that people have a real understanding of the different areas that the charity can help them with. Um, it isn't just the medical advice. It isn't just the financial advice. It isn't just the emotional support. There's a whole multidisciplinary approach that the individuals coming to us will get. And we really hope that the Rabonim will know about that. And we work hard to share that with the Rabonim so that we work in tandem and we know that people get a lot from their ROV, but we also know that there are services that the ROV isn't able, and I say this obviously very respectfully, the emotional support is a very specific area of, of work. Um, and especially for couples who are either experiencing primary or secondary infertility, but for those who have suffered loss, miscarriage or stillbirth, or for those who are dealing with a genetic issue or some of the many different areas that we're supporting couples with, that's where our support services are really quite important. And, and we hope that th we work closely with the Rabonim side by side. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've, I've, again, I've seen this, uh, in, I've had experience with couples like this who need the support. And I really want to salute the terrific work you're doing in supporting these couples. Um, and again, as you say, it's a partnership between Rabonim and Khanu, Rabonim to guide them, to direct them to Khanu for this emotional support and, and everything else you offer. Uh, but of course, one other thing we mustn't forget, of course, is Tefillah, as we know. Davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, davening to God. As we know, when Yitzchak and Rivko both turned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with tefillah, um, because at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's in control and uh, please go, and Bezus Hashem will help these young couples. And uh, I've rarely met a Rav who has been faced with couples who facing fertility challenges who hasn't davened for them who hasn't davened for those couples. And again, with this partnership of the Rabbonim together with Chana, they will, please go, we will get the Siyat to the Shema, the help from heaven to, um, to assist and help these couples. I want to draw the conversation slightly to um, a group of couples who are sometimes difficult to reach. And those are couples who have had a child but are struggling to enlarge their family. They might have had one child, they may have had more than one child, but they desperately want to have further children. This is in the trade, we call this secondary infertility. And this is a group of, of couples that are quite difficult to reach because they are so grateful that they did have a child and there isn't one yet that we've encountered that isn't so grateful. But in some ways, it's very, very much more hard, very much more difficult for them because they would really dearly love to have another child or to have more children. So the first message that we need to get across to them is that we are there for them, irrespective of the fact that they have had a previous child. As the Dian said, there are many things about how we think that are so different to the mainstream. We do not count how many children a couple have had. If they want to have a child, they must come to Khana for help. If they go to their doctor there are certain assumptions. And even before they go to their doctor, there are certain assumptions that are made. And the one that worries me particularly is from the male side, if he's had a child, 
then everything must be fine and therefore there isn't need for any investigations. And this is something that I wondered if the Dine had any thoughts on this because we know when we've seen the clinical outcomes of men who have had a child and then struggled and had investigations, there are often quite serious issues, male factor issues, and those those issues are often very um, surmountable. They're not insurmountable issues. However, without a diagnosis and without intervention, there will not be a further pregnancy. There's no doubt about that. And it's the idea of the fact that they had a child previously, therefore everything must be fine. And I wondered if the Diane had any thoughts on that. Yeah, so couples have to indeed understand that even if they've had one child, um, having investigated wife they could still and not find any problem with her there could still be a problem with the husband so much so that the cases as veronique would say when when they can't it's, it's they couldn't understand how they had their first child it was a miracle they had their first child so it's important to realize that even after one child one there is a place and room to investigate both the wife and the husband. I think the biggest proof might be from Avram Ovinu bringing in a biblical uh, proof. I think Avram, even after he had his first child, Yishmoel, uh, our sages tell us he was still considered an okor. Uh, Avram Ovinu was still unable to have children, even having had one child. But I think it's clear, um, we must keep in mind, every, but it needs rabbinical advice because we have to keep in mind, again, as mentioned earlier, the difficulty in halacha with um, investigating the man more than the woman, so to say, when it comes to providing sperm samples for analysis, etc. But there's no question about it. Um, couples have to know, they have to um, seek advice from Chana and such like, dog, uh, medical establishment, together with the Rav, as we mentioned many times today, in order um, to get the help they need, because it's incredible the ability nowadays, Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch has given us that, that uh, the scientific knowledge to help many, many couples um, who the couples themselves wouldn't believe they can be helped. And we can see it over the last 20, 30 years, how much, uh, how much help has been able to be given to these couples. Thank you very much. And I think the, the biblical references, I hope they will give a lot of chizuk, a lot of strength, because... As Diane says, there's nothing new and this is not a new subject either. And actually having frames of reference, I hope, will be helpful for some. We have a number of queries that come to us from couples who say that they are experiencing in what they describe as halachic infertility. And this is obviously a very big subject. But what we do understand is that there are some women who track their cycles. So they are encouraged to track their cycles, to have an understanding of um, how regular their periods are, when they think they're ovulating. They'll be using various different methodologies. Some will be using apps on their phone. Some will be using kits that they can use in their own home to test their urine. There's various different methodologies now available for women to track this. So they have a reasonably good knowledge um, in some cases. In many cases, they need to be encouraged to, to take this testing on board. But there are a number of couples who come to us and they say there's an issue in terms of their ovulation and their visits to the mikveh, the time that they can be together, given that they are concerned that they're ovulating prior to the tevila, prior to the visit to the mikveh, and the fact that that egg has got approximately 36 hours to survive. And there is a lot of concern about this. Does the Diane have any thoughts? Yes. So um, 
we've had many questions from couples who feel that is a problem, why the uh, wife is not falling pregnant. Um, I think, again, Baruch Hashem, of today, there are many, many solutions. Uh, one or two medical, correct me if I'm wrong, Veronique, and some halachic. Um, this problem, as far as I know, can often be overcome by the use of pills, hormonal pills, to regulate the menstrual cycle, um, so that the ovulation occurs at a time when she's permitted to her husband. I've spoken to uh, Rabbi Dr. Avon Steinberg in Eitzel He's got his connections in the hospitals there. And he tells me most of the time, if not all the time, that can be controlled by use of hormonal pills. Of course, pills have got their own downsides. But um, but, but we have to realize we are bound by halacha. Uh, there's biblical prohibitions here. There are even rabbinical prohibitions, but they're extremely strict. So the, in the, the optimum way is to use hormonal pills. Um, there are, of course, other suggested ways where they don't help, um, including artificial insemination with the husband's sperm when she does ovulate, even if it's before the mikvah, or IVF and such like. They're not, of course, they're not very comfortable. But these are solutions. And again, coming back to halacha, there are halachic solutions which are clearly delineated in halacha. This has been discussed in halacha for a long time. Um, and there is room for movement, for leniencies. On certain uh, of the days, there is room for leniencies. Of course, uh, it's not, this is not the forum to discuss the halacha of, of it, but no question about it. Once again, these couples have to go to their rov, mustn't hesitate to go to their rov. There are, there are solutions, and as far as I know, um, the last 20 years that I've been practicing, so to say, as far as I know, Bo Hashem, we haven't seen a couple who unfortunately, uh, the wife couldn't become pregnant because of this halachic infertility. There's always been solutions. Whereas there were truths written 50 years ago, uh, where it was clear that couples were infertile because of halachic infertility. But with advancement in medical, uh, medical advancement and such like, there are plenty of solutions and, um, and they must not hesitate, must not worry. Uh, it's easy for me to say, but I think one mustn't worry because solutions can be found both medically and halacha and um, mustn't be afraid to ask and, um, and be confident that, that, that solutions will be found. Thank you very much. I think that we feel in a very privileged position because we are able to discuss such a question with yourself, Diane. And at the same time, our medics on the medical panel understand that when a woman will approach her and, and be talking about her ovulation, if she went to a medic without giving any background and the medic didn't understand the background of where this person was coming from, you would think, well, be fortunate that you are ovulating without intervention because we know that there are women who don't ovulate without intervention. So it's seemingly not a problem. But we are fortunate that the medics do understand exactly where these women are coming from and they understand their lifestyle and how important this is to them. And this is, this is a very important thing for us to work with the doctors that they have an understanding of the lifestyle of these couples and how important it is that they observe the halacha, what is, is primary importance, but at the same time can achieve a, an outcome. We have become aware over the last five years or so especially coinciding with a lot of advancement in the technology of vitrification, of egg freezing, that the concept of fertility preservation, freezing your eggs for the purposes of delaying fertility. So this is women who haven't found their zivical, they haven't found their life partner, they want to get married, they want to have a child within a family context. 
except they haven't managed to get married yet. So they have two concerns. They have the concern of finding a husband and they have the concern that all the time they're spending waiting to find their husband, their chances of having a child once they're married diminish because of the time and the biological clock that's ticking. And the technology now to be able to collect those eggs, freeze them, keep them until such time as they are ready to have a child once they're married is now available. And we hear many women and in the mainstream world, we have women who are professional women who are wanting to do the same. They want to get married, but they also want to continue their professional life. So there are lots of reasons why women are doing this. It's social egg freezing. Um, but delaying the possibility of having that child, um, is there uh, any thoughts that the Diane wants to share about that? Okay. Um, as you say, this is a recent innovation, incredible innovation of the ability of fertility preservation and such like. Uh, in fact, we had a question recently about a bride, unfortunately, was diagnosed with cancer just before a wedding, whether to freeze and then to fertilize her eggs at a later date. Um, it doesn't only apply to the to the female, it can happen to the male as well. We had a question as well. The post can dis, uh, discuss it at length. Um, again, as I mentioned many times this, this today, I don't want to give any clear uh, halachic rulings on this, but the concept is very understandable in principle. Um, a lot depends on the reason why they're doing it. Is it because, uh, every, like every girl wants to get married, she's unable to find the zivuk? Or just for other reasons, she has other social reasons or professional reasons, she wants to carry on working and such like. It's worth talking to Rolf besides, of course, Khan and other medical professionals on, on the possibility of it. But it's got to be taken in the context, every, it's in every case individually, and the context what the reason, reason behind it is. But in principle, it does make sense in a case of the particular scenario you described of a, of a girl who wants to get married, she wants to start a family, she's getting older. Um, it, it does make a lot of sense in principle. Um, and But of course, it has to be discussed. Each each individual has discussion with their of who they're comfortable to speak with. Another point worth mentioning, as we mentioned earlier, uh, a, a woman doesn't have a mitzvah per se or pre-revivio. So she may be doing it um, because she desperately wants children, as we mentioned, the Torah recognizes that everybody wants to have children. Uh, but also worth keeping in mind that if she's going to get married at a point where she's unable to have children, then the husband who is obligated, in the mitzvah procreating, will not be able to fulfill that mitzvah. So there is a concept of introducing the mitzvah as well in allowing this to assist her husband in fulfilling his mitzvah. So, um, so yes, as I say, this is recent, as you said, it's fairly recent. Um, it's an incredible uh, way of assisting people. But it must be discussed um, with the Rabbonim, together with, of course, the fertility experts and in partnership with them. And, of course, as we mentioned many times today, Chana are terrific in that, in making that uh, partnership to ensure that the best possible um, option is found, the solution is found, halachically correct, advised, and sometimes obligated to do. It's the right thing to do. Thank you. I mean, as, as you say, Diane, we will assist the couple to have a child. That is what Hana is about, is assisting married couples um, in their journey, in their fertility journey, in, in the many different um, routes that that may take. Um, if someone, whether they're married or not, is unfortunate enough to have a cancer diagnosis or to have a diagnosis 
of a condition that will impact on their fertility. So uh, there, there are unfortunately various um, scenarios where this may happen, premature menopause or or some other um, diagnoses where the treatment may impact on their future fertility. In those circumstances, Hana will um, not only give them the emotional support to go through the fertility preservation, but um, take the financial steps necessary to preserve their fertility in that context. Um, but uh, it is always important for people to understand that uh, the Dionym and the Rabonim understand the context of all of these questions and therefore making that approach um, is, is going to be very important. And we enormously value the opportunity to be able to have the ongoing conversations, to be able for us to gain the understanding of the halachic ramifications within of the work that we're doing and likewise um, the other way around. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And uh, let me just repeat again um, that we recognize incredible work that, that you're doing. Literally, one of the most important roles one could play in helping other people, assisting other people, and literally being matzal nefesh achas soul, saving and helping fertility. There cannot be uh, a greater mitzvah than that. And uh, let me wish you, all of you here, Hatzlach and lots of success and uh, in the incredible work you're doing. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to Unexpecting, brought to you by Chana. If you are struggling on your fertility journey, head over to chana.org.uk and get in touch with one of our experts or call the helpline on 0208-201-5774. With Chana, you are not alone. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, review and share on social media. We really hope you'll join us again soon.